welcome back to another episode of Chris Dyer's Creative Friends, the super awesome podcast show where me, your artist friend Chris Dyer, talks to all his awesome artist friends. Today I'm in the super cool Rhino neighborhood of Denver, Colorado. Uh, I'm about to move out, but before I do, I wanted to interview uh, uh, a couple more friends. And uh, today I will be interviewing Jonathan and Lindsay Lamb. They're a married artist power couple who've been doing murals for many years. They're all friends of mine, so I'm looking forward to hearing all about the art they do here in Jamaica and beyond. So yeah, hope you enjoy this one. Woo! Between the women and a man, Chris Dyer and his creative friends, darling. Ooh, 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 ooh. Hey, thank you so much for having me over. Your, your beautiful home here in the Rhino district of Denver. How is it living in this uh, street art mural hood? Like, tell me a little bit about your neighborhood first. Well, it's action-packed now in 2022. Um, so it's entertaining out of every single window of our house. And it's also a beautiful place where we're able to rest, relax before the next project. Mm-hmm. Because you guys got a beautiful home with many floors and lots of views, but all of a sudden you look out your window and somebody's getting, like, a wall getting bombed. Yeah. How did that blockbuster outside happen? Like, did you guys catch it or you wake up one morning and... No, we were, we were out of town for it, oh, okay. so it was just a surprise to come home to. Uh-huh. You know, but it's, uh, it's like the local sketchbook. It gets buffed every three months or so-ish. Okay. And Except for the garage doors. Yeah, the okay. garage doors. <laughs> you're safe and sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank no, you for giving me that wall, by the way. I've yeah. been living and working in this neighborhood for 15 years. Uh-huh. And I just, it's beautiful to watch the growth. There mm -hmm. are growing pains with it. I mean, you're living in a permanent construction zone. Right. There's like, from the roof here, I think you can see 20 cranes. Yeah. You know, but that growth also provides jobs and opportunities for creatives and ourselves mm -hmm. to be able to walk out the front door and go walk to a gig and paint. Right. Or to a bar or to a party, art show. Yeah. You know, great. whenever we hanged out, like we just walk around your hood and it's a good time no matter where we end up. Yeah. True. <laughs> I like that about it's our the, own the Ringwood, you know. <laughs> right. Um, I, I, Denver's in general is not, not really for me, but whenever I hang out with you guys in the Rhinos, like, well, this feels kind of like Montreal, you know, people are out. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it feels alive and, and you know, creative. Um, but you're originally from Cincinnati, you were just telling me? Yeah. Yeah, I moved to Colorado in 1998. Okay. What about you, Lindsay? I'm fifth generation from Wyoming. And I moved to Colorado when I was 18. I've lived a couple different places in Colorado. I lived in Portland, Oregon, but I've been in Denver for the last eight years. Okay, so yeah. you've been here longer. How long have you said? 
Uh, I moved to Durango in 98, and then it was kind of a gradual move up here in 2003, 2004. So super long. Yeah. So you've seen it really transform, but really, it only really started like peaking or like exploding after 2012 when we got legalized, right? Yeah, I think like 2008 was a marker when they had the DNC here and Obama got nominated to run for president that there started to be this vibration and meeting of the minds and seeing artists from all around the country and the world converge in this neighborhood and do an exchange of thought and art. I think that was an initial spark. The weed legalization definitely helped any creative who needed a gig. Mm-hmm. You know, every company needed a logo, needed some art on their walls. Um, the weed, the, the that weed money industry. bounced around the creative community. It right. still does. Right. The weed industry in general, like, it's just like cool people with money all the time. You know, because you smoke weed, not saying like you smoke weed, you're cool all the time. But if you, you know. you're definitely open minded and, and aware of some things. And watching that spiral into like meeting friends from Jamaica who were so inspired by the Colorado weed thing that they legalized ganja and herb in Jamaica and replicated the model there and were able to go travel there and do art and that there's this thread that ties it all together through the strain of ganja. Totally. So weed empowered Denver and made it explode. Uh, now, I'm going to take a pause here just to say this is the first time I've uh, interviewed two people at the, at the same time. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm trying to like feel it out as I go. So you guys decide when each one of you guys jumps in. I, I don't want to single any one of you guys out. You guys probably well, it, know your balance. It's the first for yeah. you, but like this is our second one today when we had yeah. our call earlier. Like it's our, this is our dialogue uh, and you, our unique perspective that we're a duo so you guys are in the flow yeah Yeah. totally of the duo thing which i'm gonna get into so let's go back to denver so the weed came here obama vibration you were telling me uh kind of like started building some energy and now it's exploded how about have you seen denver grow and change for good and for bad in the last bunch of years more people more artists more art patrons you know, the growing pains of rising rent and and the growth pains of a cow town turning into an international art city. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the people are, are new faces and I like to meet new people. Mm-hmm. Some of them I can't relate to who don't understand the old neighborhood or some of the older connections that tied us as a community together and what brought people to Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, but all in all, I, I think it's very enjoyable. I'm like, being from Cincinnati, that's a town that its growth spurt in the its peak of where it was at was like 1850. Mm-hmm. It was it's been on the skids for 150 years. It's starting to rebound now, but to like see buildings boarded up and like the rust belt aspect of an industrial city that isn't in its prime anymore to moving to an environment where this is a boom or bust town and we are in a boom cycle and to see that and to see no matter what your passion is if you have one and you have a hustle you're being successful here you want to open a restaurant and do your thing go for it if you want to start a security business 
go for it. If you want to be an artist, run with it, you know? It's almost like a city. It's like a flower. And right now, this flower is just receiving a lot of water. So it's just like blossoming up and putting out fruits. But as you saw with Cincinnati, sometimes the water moves to some other place and then the flower like starts decaying and going down. It's interesting to think of a city as a living organism that expresses through us humans doing things, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so did you guys meet here or where did you guys meet? We did meet in Denver right after, shortly after I moved here from Portland. We mm -hmm. met on Tinder. Oh yeah, <laughs> I remember now. Yeah, <laughs> so you went on a date. Dating, and you, dating yeah. app, romance, marriage. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a beautiful. This should be a commercial for for Tinder right now, and how these things can really work out in, in real life in a positive way more than we what set, it's supposed to be. We sent them a proposal to go paint a mural in their office. <laughs> okay. And tell our story. And they sent us a keychain and a matchbook that said, it's a match. <laughs> ah, it's like, I heard that one before they probably said, right? it's like, yeah. yeah, but we got a product to offer here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Um, and so tell me about your roots. Were you guys artists before you, I, I'm thinking before you moved to Denver, you were already doing art. Well, you were here for so long. What about you? When did you do uh, start doing your art? Um... I had always thought I was going to be an artist. I had a different path, though. I had a 10-year career in mortgages mm -hmm. and a 10-year career being a wealth management advisor with Northwestern Mutual. So um, my dad was a painter, and he taught me how to paint. The scar on my forehead is from a one-gallon paint can when I was three. Wow. Um, so it's always been a part of my life. Um, I've always had scaf own scaffolding and been able to paint at any point, but I probably really started painting in 2015, um, collabed with some other artists, did a, some solo murals, um, and it wasn't until we were on vacation and had access to a beautiful brand new concrete wall at the Airbnb we were staying at that we collabed just for fun. and we're here now so yeah. Nice. yeah that's so great so you were already doing art and then you were dating but you were just doing your Do separate thing I mean we did some illegal stuff together mm -hmm. um, but we never planned to consciously collaborate and paint together other than some illegal stuff at night mm -hmm. um, so yeah it was it's a beautiful unplanned. love story yeah. love and art what about yeah. you Jonathan Where, when did you start uh, I've art. always been pursuing art. Like that's what I wanted to do as a child. Uh huh. I came out here to go to art school. And my love of the mountains and skiing. Did you? Which art school did you go to? Out here? I went to Fort Lewis College in Durango. Okay. It's a liberal that? liberal arts school. It's great, great college. Love the education. The, I mean, it is in the mountains. It's absolutely stunning landscape to study and live in. And when you came out as an artist, uh, was it straight up murals or did you have like uh, canvas studio work? What was your route? It, yeah, I mean, it was those traditional canvas studio work, trying to paint larger, you know, the financial constraints of being uh, in your adolescence, teens, early 20s to try to fund large scale work. But like, 
found it, did, did some walls in Durango with buddies. There was a mural program at the college that I took. The professor was a mural painter. Mm-hmm. So like learned some of those tricks of the trade. But like, I remember when I was painting 30 by 40 paintings, you know, I thought those were giant paintings and that I was really making a huge impact. Right. Yeah, it's funny to reflect back on that. When did it explode into like, okay, let's do giant walls now? It, it was a gradual process. Once once I was up here and meeting some other creatives and just kind of pushing ourselves to start working larger, you know, working on plywood, sticking some boards together, building it up, finding some property owners who would let us start painting the sides of their walls or old billboards doing wheat pace and working larger just challenging ourselves to work bigger and get the tools and the know-how and techniques to work larger mm-hmm. what about you Lindsay? um well i mean i saw my my dad painted murals so i watched him when i was a little girl um yeah and then so it's almost like your inspiration number one was murals not so much canvases not so much my dad painted walls mm-hmm. mainly um, he did have a time in his career where he painted canvases, but by the time I was born, he just painted on walls. So mm-hmm. I kind of couldn't imagine not not painting on walls or seeing someone do that, I guess. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. just like such a more abundant kind of canvas that yeah. you can do so much more stuff, even though it, it's a lot more tiring and physically exhausting. Do you guys bounce between walls and canvases a little bit? What What do you find the difference, advantages, pros and cons of, of each thing? Um, you know, I have to say some pros is when you do paint large, it definitely can speed up when you reduce the size. Obviously, attention to detail still matters in a smaller piece, but... Um, the quickness of it kind of comes together much easier if you're not, you don't have time to get on the lift and drive it around. And, you know, there's a lot to painting on a wall. Mm-hmm. Um, two, the difference in the amount of chi, life energy that you give to, to a wall is a different scenario than painting on a canvas. I do enjoy both. Um, and we do, this year especially, we've been bouncing between creating canvas work, panel work, and painting big, so, mm-hmm. yeah. I like the balance between it all, where it's like, going, I love going and painting large-scale walls, you know, spending two or three weeks on a large painting, and then coming back in and doing studio work, and working in a climate-controlled environment, where mm-hmm. it's not as physically laborious mm-hmm. um, but still rewarding do you think you you'll have the like say I'm 43 and I, I'm still pretty strong I'm still doing my murals but definitely there's some days like whoa do I want to be in my 50s and my 60s still like getting up in a ladder sucking fumes all day like do you yeah. ever think like this is something that eventually you'll be like oh my time for muraling has will come to an end I mean, at I some think point, there, there there is there has to be I don't see like the extremely large scale stuff without assistance I don't see being able 
to paint that stuff in my unless you in art direct it exactly yeah right you know I'm I'm really interested in the uh, art festival that we're going to uh, Blink in Cincinnati the hotel the festival put us up in um, has my favorite mural in Cincinnati on it mm-hmm. it's this really kind of minimalist geometric um, shape three dimensional um, but the muralist who painted it is coming to do a panel discussion with all the other muralists and it's the 50th anniversary of him painting the wall wow yeah. so I, I'm interested to like have this dialogue with an elder statesman muralist of what was his experience as he aged into his silver and golden years right uh, maybe yeah. I pick up a pointer or three, you know. Right, totally. Hopefully, you learn how to like continue doing murals into your eighties. Yeah. Right. That's something you'd even want to do. Or I know. I mean, by me. that point, I think the drones just paint them for you, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the next you just thing. think about it, and Isn't it's like Joe doing that project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone's knows. trying to figure that out. You know? Right. Well, then they'll take our jobs. Well, you can just sit there and think about it and still have the idea and use the tools. Right. You know, the same, I look at it like, if Monet had a spray can, he would have been all over it. Like, if those classical painters from antiquity or the Renaissance Uh or Impressionism, like, to have the modern tools and techniques that we have. Right forget about it. I would love to see what they did with it. Right. That, that'd be so sick to see, yeah. man. Um, do you do most of your jobs here in Denver that has a lot or do you spend half the time traveling? What's uh, what's your division of uh, gigs that come your way? We've been trying to expand our markets and travel more and not oversaturate ourselves in this market. Mm-hmm. Um, this year we were fortunate that we did uh, our lone outdoor project in Denver was extremely large scale. Mm-hmm. So we were able to spend the month of June painting outside in Denver. But the rest of the year we've been traveling, painting elsewhere. Okay, nice. Yeah. And one interior mural that we're doing right now in Denver. Yeah, and that'll be it for this year. Okay. Um, you take winters off because of weather or you continue other places? We... This year, we're continuing other places for other projects, yeah, um, in Mexico and Jamaica and Cincinnati and Miami, so, yeah. After the new year, we're, we'll come back and do some studio work. Mm-hmm. We're working uh, on building up a body of work for a solo show next year. Mm-hmm. Nice, beautiful. I yeah. look forward to it, and uh, I look forward to seeing you guys in Miami for, for Basel time, too. Yeah, it'll be great. Um, so, Denver, I want to ask you about the Denver uh, street art scene. Uh because you've seen it grow throughout the years. And uh, I'm an outsider. I'm from Montreal, which is a big street art scene. And I come here, and it's like a city that... This is my personal observation. I hope no one gets offended. But this city wasn't, like, that cool just, like, 10 years ago. And all of a sudden, it's super cool, so everybody's just jumping on board. And, and you know, there's all of a sudden all these murals popping up. Once again, as an outsider, I'm looking like there's some really good murals and then there's some really big walls where the murals are not that great. And I'm like, whoa, that would not fly in Montreal, you know, like every mural has to be killer or the graffiti will come and destroy it the next day. It's like, oh, that mural sucks. Boom. 
that doesn't seem to happen here. It seems like there's a lot of politics and who gets a wall is more probably connections over talent. I don't know. That's why I'm making you a question. I'm a little in a state of confusion. How do you see everything I just did? Uh, you <laughs> just take that one? To you. I'll take, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you, a, yeah, my insight, which is not much, but I think part of it is that there's a lot of things that happen in Denver between, I would say, 2013, maybe even 2010 to 2020 that really pushed paint outside, right? I can't say of the quality or where that paint was going. Um, what do you mean paint, push paint outside? What like murals, people okay. painting outside, right? Um, so I think property owners learned that it's okay to let people paint on your building, right? Uh -huh. I can't say that it taught property owners to pay for quality or to... Right. So I can say that it provided a lot of opportunity, but I don't know if the curation, if the project and budgeting was around that. I will say that I do hear your point, and there are many things that I've seen in the streets where I am curious as to why they haven't um, been gone over. But I think over time stuff does get gone over in Denver if it is not of quality and if you are not an artist who cleans it up quickly um, so I don't know I do also think that so many artists have moved to Denver knowing and seeing how much street art is in this city and hoping for a career and again I don't know if that means of quality um, or taste or um, the content of that but it was good that people get uh, their chance, you know. People yeah. come to Denver, it's like, I want to make it as an artist. I'm yeah. going to Denver. I'll probably get a wall there. I guess I'm, <laughs> I'm asking for a place of frustration because as an established muralist, I come to Denver and I can't get walls. <laughs> it's <laughs> but it's all ironic. because of politics <laughs> and stuff. Um, but uh, what about you, Jonathan? Have you, know, you seen I, the politics I, well, of creation oh, yeah. and murals all change throughout the years? All of it. But, you know... Weren't you guys running crush walls at some point? Yeah, we, we were doing that for a good handful of years. and It's been beautiful to watch artists learn to mural, learn to use a spray can. Some of the stories that have come out of the last 10 years of watching artists blossom into international mural painters and travel the world and paint and grow and and refine their techniques that there's some really amazing stories that have come out of it there's been artists that have been flash in the pan that ebb and flow there's you know the fierce um local nature of it there's definitely the strong tie of chicano artwork and the history of that in the community you know this neighborhood is bordered by train train yards on two sides of it it has always been a neighborhood for train jumpers and transients that have always left their mark coming in and out of the yards, which I think built over time that in a largely ignored light industrial neighborhood that had rapid growth, that the neighborhood was always going to grow due to its proximity. It was just whether or not it was going to look like the meatpacking district in, in Manhattan or whether it was going to look like Wynwood. Right. Or what do you think is the turning 
came back to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I gotta grab it, but I don't Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> That's that Colorado weather for you. Whoa, yeah, that it's, wind. But just to finish, like, I do feel that this city is a good incubator. Uh-huh. Where the, the pressures of painting in New York, LA, Montreal, Toronto, and a major international city that some of those pressures don't exist here and allow artists the time and space to develop at their mm-hmm. own at their own accord mm-hmm. um, that's, that, that's which great. I think is a beautiful part of this community mm-hmm. that it supports creatives even if those are some really misguided decisions but you never know you know got to try things I guess it's uh, figure it out as you go so you guys were running the crush walls at some point but then it didn't work out or yeah we just kind of we grew out of it there's neighborhood politics you know there's how much energy we're putting into promoting and supporting and turning other artists on versus our own desires and passions to focus on our own creative practices and you know and some of your efforts aren't appreciated, you know, then maybe it's time to focus on your yourself. The curation, the curational position is usually a hard one where people are trying to like suck your dick to like, you know, get in with you or they're mad at you because you didn't give them that position. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. damn if you do and damn if you don't. Yeah, totally. Uh, do you find, and I, I hate making these like negative questions, but there's, you know, I guess like there's a reason why I'm leaving this town. <laughs> but do you find there's a lot of like drama in the city? Like you just throw a bunch of artists in one time, everybody wants to make it, and there might be like clicks and, and, and just like, you know, tension between people who could just get along if we all just accept that we all are doing the same thing. Yeah, it's a weird situation, you know? It's a. Uh to promote and just support art for art's sake, you know, and like try to turn everybody on, but yeah, it, it does turn into that, and then you're hurting kittens and you can't please everyone, you know, but just trying to promote and develop the arts and culture, obviously like on a certain level it existed here, we didn't like create it, Right, but like to foster and fuel it, you know, it's interesting to see artistic integrity and creativity, ego, where all that merges in everything mm-hmm. um, and shakes out. You know, um, it's interesting to see people's agendas, whether that's a property developer in it for just purely monetary and whitewashing and painting the walls is a way way to gentrify and make a retirement plan versus people who have political aspirations and where art meets politics. Um, It's a living, breathing thing that's interesting to observe. We do work in other communities, so we have different perspectives from different communities, but but it probably doesn't bug you too much if, uh, if you continue living here. It's something that we've had to let go, but it's also a reason that we've put so much effort into working in other communities so that a demonstration to the local community that 
broader things that we're not just leaning on this one thing that there we have opportunities elsewhere but yes we choose to live here right well that's good it doesn't annoy you or anything <laughs> or, or well, it, it does I, if it annoys you it's not i would too much. say i i know and i'm familiar with exactly what you're talking about we have chosen to to try and take opportunities elsewhere so that we don't get bogged down with that type of energy. Because to us, we want to produce and share our creative perspective with the world and help others do the same. And so part of that is saying like, no thanks to the other negative shit. Yeah, right. It's a local drama. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say like say like Montreal also has drama and competitiveness, but it's never like too bad. But in general, it's just like, well, there's so many artists in Montreal and everybody's so good. I don't want to go there and fight for walls. I'll just go and paint in other places. And if I do happen to have a wall where I can, where I sleep, great. Yeah. If not, fine. You know, yeah. like, there's abundance. <laughs> yeah. So Jonathan, we met in 2013. I was doing a solo show at New Conscious Gallery, and you had the studio above, I, I believe, with Chris Ortiz. What's his name? Michael. Michael Ortiz. Okay, sorry. And uh, that was called Like Minded. Yep. Uh, please tell me what Like Minded is. What was it? What was it then? And how has it transformed throughout the years? What's what does it do? I mean, it was a art collective and print studio. We s still maintain it. Um, and run it as an outlet for creative projects that come towards us that still interest us but isn't the outlet of full creative control that's for Linz and Lamb. Mm -hmm. We make our own art. So you make prints for and other print, artists? Yeah, print studio for other artists, curation for mural festivals. Uh -huh. um, right, so like it could higher lens and lens yes. but it's not the same thing yeah, yeah. that was, we keep keep it separate and uh, some of that was that original confusion of what like-minded was and making sure that our creative moniker is a separate thing to maintain its independent identity right and uh, so you make prints you, you and you curate yeah, and that's that, that's the general service. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we we offer e-commerce print on demand for some artists through our website. Um, yeah, curation, project management. John um, managed some really cool projects across the United States this year for oh, yeah? some some companies and artists were had the opportunity to paint and so yeah that all falls under like-minded yeah it's just an cool. artist network that we've developed over time uh -huh. yeah. nice yeah remember like back then it was a big loft it was beautiful you had a shipper ferry wheat paste on the wall that he had dropped there in passing and i don't know if there were like festivals happening yet but you were kind of like looking out in the neighborhood like oh there's some walls i'll hook up artists with yeah it. you know we started painting our building you painted it like just started knocking on our neighbors' doors and just building it. It grew into what it is now. You know, crush, crush doesn't exist anymore. Oh yeah, uh, crush walls but, is done. But the neighborhood still continues to grow. Artists continue to work in it. The developers 
who are building new buildings are still hiring artists to be creative and integrate into the creative fabric of the community to keep the identity. Right. It's, it's, there's an important role, once again, in the curational position. Because like a, a building owner is like, okay, I want a mural, but like what? Do I go and choose my favorite mural if they even have a taste for art? Or do I go to an entity like like-minded and do I... Uh, them to decide what mural would be uh, you know, aligned with this building or neighborhood. Yeah. And, right? and that's why when we were curating, we strive to do the best job possible to show that. Like, these artists partner with these buildings and these are the personalities of the property owners or the business owners. Let's connect the right artists with the right people on the right projects. You're doing that at a scale of a hundred plus murals across the neighborhood in a month for for the year that that's really providing identity to the community and for the most part i feel that we were extremely successful and have a proven track record where people keep coming back to want to work with us because of the success that we have nice congratulations man yeah that's great so tell me more about lens and lamb as a entity, a brand, obviously it's you two painting murals. That's the gist of it. Is there more you can tell me about it? What's the what what do you offer as in like when somebody comes to you guys and they want a mural, you know, what's the what's the art you're providing? What's the vibe? What's the philosophy or what's the energy that you're offering and serving to the people who come to you artistically? Um, well, we paint kind of two different styles. Um, one we call lamb lines, which is razzle-dazzle, which is a form of camouflage. Mm -hmm. um, hard lines, straight lines, um, varying in colors. That to us, well to me, really shows the duality that this world that we live in is. Contrast. And, yes, and that that contrast exists in everything simultaneously together, right? So those lines are together in our pieces. So yeah, those are called lamb lines. Those can be completely abstract or have a little bit more direction and story behind them um, with words or color or um, the pattern might be inspired from something else. Um, and then we also paint what we call lamb is lambscapes, and those are <laughs> those are our version of landscapes. So okay. um, those are also more minimalist as far as a landscape is concerned, but still very straight, hard lines. Um, very stylistic. Yeah. yeah. You just did a geometric huge one, abstraction. Some, some big building somewhere, right? Yeah, in Grand Junction, Colorado. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Congrats yeah. on that awesome. one. It looked huge. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it was. So that's that, that's great. Uh, it, it, it seems like art like that is um, it's something that like anybody can get into because it's not the subject matter is not attached to like a specific culture or it's not it's not quite abstract. Well, it's, is it abstract? It, I mean, it's a abstraction. Uh -huh. It's a stylized rendering uh -huh. where we're not although we're taking subject matter in real mountains as reference, right. uh, local iconic, iconic peaks, we are rendering them in what we feel is a unique original style that isn't, you 
know, trying to be just photorealistic. Uh-huh. Now the... <laughs> it's raining on us right now, so I'm just trying to like make sure that my equipment doesn't get too much water, but it's so refreshing. Yeah, it is nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's getting really, really bad now. Should we finish it downstairs? Yeah, maybe. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right, so we had to come back. We had to go indoors. The... Uh, the weather didn't allow us to stay out there with a beautiful view of the city. It's like what Lindsay was talking about with our art. It's duality, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. from painting murals to being in the studio, we went from outside to inside. It's a reflection of what we do in our practice. Thank you for this delicious chocolate, by the way. Yeah. Some product placement here <laughs> with their art. How is it uh, licensing your art? Is uh, that a big part of your brand, or just something you do on the side, or is it helpful, difficult, easy? Especially with like-minded, I mean, it's easier. Like to do it when it's easy and it makes sense. Yeah. People who come to us with complicated or convoluted licensing agreements, I'm not too stoked or interested to do. But uh, for dark chocolates, they were nothing but just super awesome to work with, and like. Really happy with the product they made and the printing and the packaging and the way they're representing the artists. Um, so everything lined up for that project. Nice. Yeah. So, Lindsay, we first met in Jamaica when okay. our friend Joe in Tune Arts hired us all together along the uh, chats from the London Police to paint some murals at the Bob Marley Mausoleum in Nine Mile, Jamaica. For me, that's probably like the coolest, most awesome <laughs> thing I've ever done in my art career and in my life. But for you guys, it's like, oh, we've done this before a couple times. So please tell us, uh, tell me um, if you have any memories of that particular jam and other Jamaican uh, jams you've had, which I know are many, like, you guys could probably go down the Jamaican you know, highway right now, like deep, but let's start with those Bob Marley related jobs. Um, the mausoleum was an amazing experience, just as you express. I feel the same way. Um, I have only painted at that property. John has had the luxury of painting at other Bob Marley properties, but mm -hmm. that was the first for me and super amazing. I would say, um, you asked also some other highlights of Jamaica. I would say, what sticks out there in a close second to that project, if not maybe a little more, is the project we did this January um, at Haile Selassie High School in mm -hmm. Kingston. So those are definitely the top two painting experiences for me in my life so far, um, and they both happen to be in Jamaica. Yes. For me, having the, the history and the repetition of painting in Jamaica so frequently over the last decade, I really thought our trip to Nine Mile was super special because we were able to share it with you and with Chaz and Chinny and Ray and that uh, it was cooler to have the group hang and, and go paint together and share that experience in such a sacred place. And, mm -hmm. you know, you, you still had your locks at that point and it was just so clear, like watching you how special that was to you and like watching you walk hike up on the hill and meditate and draw and I remember the night where we were just sitting around the table after dinner 
playing the the world capital game. Yeah, I love that game. Chad is so <laughs> He's funny. He's good at it too. <laughs> or the night that we went to that bar with the locals. Yeah, and we were walked in on the wedding party. Yeah, it was like a wedding party, right? And it was such a good vibe. Yeah. Like, I'm always so nervous there because, like, you know, I'm an outsider, but you always seem so and We, like, we met a, an artist who lives there, a younger man, Yap Chen, and we've stayed in touch with them and continue to bring them art supplies when we come back. And, cool. Uh, it's been amazing to keep the connection in Nine Mile going and alive mm. as more artists continue to go paint there. Um, I also love the story. After we were done painting there, you asked where you should go for a couple of days before you had to leave the island. Right. And I suggested go to Negril. Uh-huh. And I called my buddy's resort and asked if they had availability and left my name. And then you arrived. And I... I, I didn't really put it together or give it much thought. But, you know, on Facebook, if you have a mutual friend who likes a post that, like, shows their name when it says, and the number of likes, or and others like, that the owner of that resort's name always liked your social media posts. Mm-hmm. I didn't even really think about it. I just, just go the banana shop knock on the door. Uh-huh, because it was like, it was so cool, you know, it was like the dispensary of Negril too. <laughs> yeah, and and then um, months later, uh, ran into the owner of the resort, and we were talking about just life, and you know, I'm like, you know, I haven't seen you in a while, blah, blah, I miss you, you know, he's like, man, you're like forever in my thoughts, he's like, you literally, and he considers himself a failed artist, but he tried to pursue it, but eventually the hospitality industry was What was more... his name again? I remember him being Italian. I remember his personality so great, but my, na- my, my name data bank sucks. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was so funny, banana shell. Yeah. But he... And uh, you're his favorite artist. And I didn't even put two and two together. He's like, John, you sent Chris Dyer to knock on my front door. And his jaw was just on the ground. It was so funny. When they opened the gate thinking the knock was me, and then it was you, and it was the switch, you know, the switch, switch up flip-flop. And he was so excited that you were there that he ended up taking you to Peter Tosh's mausoleum. Uh-huh. And then you got to draw a lion on Peter Tosh's mausoleum while you had just painted Bob Marley's mausoleum. It's that was pretty crazy. strong one-two punch. The synchronicities, you yeah. know? Like, that's like, holy shit. Like, I'm in a place where I don't know anybody and here's somebody who's, like, super stoked and uh, facilitating an even better experience. So, thank you for sending me there. We're all aligned. <laughs> Big shouts to Milo, too. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, tell me what other Bob Marley, you, I think you painted uh, his house on, uh, what is that, Prince Street, King Street? On Hope Road, Hope 56 Road. Hope Road. Mm-hmm. Um, That's where he was living. Yeah, with an old creative partner and buddy. We did two murals there uh, on different different times, trips, and then we painted uh, Tough Gong, Tough Gong okay. at 220 Marcus Garvey Drive. Um, That's sick. Yeah, and we're headed back to Jamaica in November to paint some more for Kaya and do another project with the Marleys. Uh-huh, Kaya's a dispensary. Yeah, Herb House. Okay, nice. That's so great. So you've been, you guys have been to 
Jamaica many times yep. over many years. Yeah. So many I stopped, I stopped counting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's with this connection with Jamaica? Like, you, uh, yeah, tell me. It's just something that happened, you know? Like, I always had a love of reggae music, and so did Lindsay. She was... Yeah, I mean, I, I had dreadlocks in high school. Oh, and um, not a full head, but some dreadlocks, and listen to reggae. Um, I had always thought and envisioned myself in Jamaica someday, and I don't know what that connection with reggae music was at such an early age in elementary school. I was listening to Barrington Lady and Cableton, and... Um, when the internet came out, like my original email address is lrhrasta at hotmail.com. No way. Oh, yeah. So I do feel very at peace when I'm in Jamaica and it um, is a place that I love to spend time and give back to a culture that has given so much to the world. Some chocolate. No, more. Thank you. Um, yeah, I give back to a culture that has given so much to the entire world. Um, is I feel like the least we can do to be grateful for that music and the people of Jamaica. Awesome. Yeah. What about you, John? Are you guys reincarnated Jamaicans? Well, I will tell you this, but I have, I don't know if you're going to keep this part for the interview, but I've been working with, I love getting to know who I am as a person and this experience and what this is. And, um, been working with, um, Mystic Dave the Mystic, who um, does many things, but one of the things is works with you on your past lives. And so um, we've been working on some past life stuff for um, my disease and just learning more about who I am, right? So on a more recent phone call we had, I did describe to him, like, hey, I'm just curious, you know, I do feel very comfortable in this place, you mm-hmm. know, I wonder what that might be. And so it would appear that I've been born three times on the island mm. in past lives. Um, I have had 36 previous past lives directly in the Caribbean. Mm. Um, so that would maybe explain, yeah, why my connection. connection. Um, yeah, because, you know, we just took a beautiful vacation to Hawaii, and Hawaii was amazing, but it's not the way I felt even while we were on vacation how I feel when I'm in Jamaica so mm-hmm. um need to learn more about myself and yeah why that connection might be so strong that's so beautiful I don't know about being reincarnated Jamaican but <laughs> I do know that I've been called an honorary Jamaican from Bob Marley's daughter so I'll take that would you say you're a Rasta I feel that I have the values of a Rasta, but that I never tried to appropriate an appearance and like lock my hair or dress a certain way as an identity. I just listened to the music, studied the writings, and tried to live by those values. To some people, that would be the definition of being a Rasta. <laughs> so, so, like, the question is, what is Rasta? And this is a question I make to a lot of my guests. Dread or not, there's a lot of Rastas that, you know, I'm a Rasta too, if I can dare to say that. You know, is it about the one love and it's not a racial thing? Obviously, it is also a racial thing. It is about Ethiopia and Africa and all this stuff. But spiritually, it seems like a liberty. It seems like a actually 
yes, this is an expression of God, but it's also about oneness, right? Yeah, and I would say that the message is also about, yes, what's above, what is bigger than what our governments tell us is the reality that they want us to understand. It is the concept bigger, bolder, and beyond that scope. And I think we all want to connect with something bigger than what's handed down to us through a school system or through a government of whatever country, whatever state. Um, so I, I, for me, it gives that insight and I think connects people who see that vision or might open their perspective to something outside of what is given. Right, I agree. So my next question would be, I understand cultural appropriation. You know, uh, somebody from one culture shouldn't just go in and grab it and make it their own without any degree of respect. But if there is respect and there is resonance, should our encasement, our race, our skin color limit our spiritual, cultural affection and beliefs? I would hope not. You know, and that by trying to be the change in the world and treating everybody as an equal, that that would be, there should be some, rep- I don't know, that's not the right word. Um, reciprocity? Reciprocity. Yes. Reciprocity. You it's know, a tough word. I don't get it neither. You know, that, that hopefully what we give and put out there comes back. Right. You know, and that when treating others as equals, looking other people directly in the eye and then sharing what we share through our art and our beliefs and values that they share with us theirs and hopefully we can each learn from each other, grow stronger and then be the living example that it can work, mm-hmm. that people from different cultures and different places in the world can work together to make a positive impact and change. And, and, um, you know, she mentioned the school project at Haile Selassie High School in West Kingston and Painland. And, you know, we painted 11 murals on the high school that we self-funded. We brought uh, artists from Colorado, from the UK, we brought an artist who, both of his parents are Jamaican, but he was raised in L.A. and lives in Phoenix and Denver. And he was able to come back and see his mom and his sister while he was painting. And then we had six other Jamaicans come out and paint murals and did this giant exchange and worked together to help the kids and to teach the youth and inspire them and show that we're all out here working together to do something positive and Uh, I I couldn't be more proud of that project and hope that we can continue to make a positive impact in Jamaica and um, locally, nationally, internationally, Mm -hmm. um, wherever communities accept what we're doing. Well, I I cannot see another, uh, a bigger example of reciprocity or to make it easier, the I and I. Exactly. And you know what's funny? In Peru, in the jungle, they got a word called Aini, which is I and I, which also means reciprocity. 
Alright. Yeah, okay. it's like it's like a whole like uh, the Aini, you know, we all like giving to each other and that's how the world's gonna The vibrational like exchange. Right. Yeah. So it, I I love to always tag it back to Rastafarianism or just Rasta culture because there's a lot of things that you know, resonate with me. Like, I'm not one thing, I'm many things, but I would hope Rasta was one of the ingredients thrown in the soup of whatever the fuck Chris is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think it is. So yeah. tell me, this project that you did for Celestia School is with one of your companies, right? You got a, a specific um, charity company for painting or something like that? It's, it's not a non-profit. It's set up as a, a limited company. Mm -hmm. in Jamaica, but it's called Touch Up. Touch Up. Uh, we touch up your wallet. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, I couldn't remember the name, but yeah, I've always thought it was so funny. So it's it's something that we've been working on and, and growing for about eight years through projects with Kaya Herb House, independent projects, and it's seeming to start getting momentum. There's some other street art movement programs that... Uh, the Jamaicans have been doing and we've been communicating and working on future um, collaborations together and the street art scene in Jamaica is really starting to thrive mm -hmm. uh, it's a beautiful thing to see um, that's awesome yeah even the skate scene a little bit right yeah I mean they got the skate skate park out in Boston and like mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty sweet that's awesome. Yeah, uh, I used to work for his brand, Satori Movement, and they used to come to Jamaica. Actually, Bring the boys. Brian uh, Nejedly, who I bumped into Kaya Herbaus when I went there, is his brother. It's like, what? Like, we're just bumping into him. I just arrived. It's crazy. <laughs> so there must be a lot of, like, mystic uh, line work in that island for things like that to be so uh, aligned and, um, yeah, synchronistic. Mm -hmm. Yes. Lots of synchronicities. Um, so, you guys are successful artists, both as artists who make art, and you have your companies. Would you have some words of wisdom to the artists that are looking at that, you know, who might be younger, who, you know, you know, might look up to you and be like, wow, here's a couple, they're married, they're intertwined, they're, they tolerate each other. <laughs> <laughs> They travel the world, you know, like, uh, is there anything you can say to, like, you know, give some, you know, motivational uh, or words of advice to these, uh, to it, mostly people who watch this show as young artists who want to see people who've done it? Yeah, I would say stay authentic um, is key and also remember that every no is one step closer to a yes, so... Although no's are hard to hear, there's, I'm grateful for them because that means a yes is right around the corner. Statistically, that's how it works. Mm -hmm. So um, be grateful for the no's. They're the next step towards a yes. And go after. Approach people. Try. You have an idea. Go for it. Um, this world is a playground. Yay. So much abundance. Right. Yeah. Uh, I would say hit it hard. You know, not many people are going to pay attention to what you're doing until you're 30. So really just keep practicing what it is that you really enjoy. Um, respect elder artists. Listen to what they have to say. I think it's really important for young artists to find a mentor. 
and then to understand that the mentorship that an older artist may give you is not a one-way street. And, and to give back to whoever is going to give you that opportunity. We found a little protege when he was 17 and have been continuing to help and give him opportunities um, and be an ear and a sounding board for him. Um, so they're out there and, you know, find artists, go to art shows, get ingrained in your local community, start locally and act globally. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, guys, for making some time for me in this conversation. It was super fun. Blessings. Safe travels to Florida. Yeah, yeah thank you. to see what the future holds for you. So excited. And thank you, guys, for watching another episode of Chris Dyer's Creative Friends. Uh, please make sure to like, share, comment, subscribe, all that boring stuff but that keeps the show being shared with more people. So thank you so much and see you next time. Blessings. Next episode, my guest will be Rhyme. It's uh -huh. about it's about finding uh, that feeling of home first and foremost within yourself. You know, there are so many people out there that feel uncomfortable in their own skin. So it starts it starts again with ourselves and then of course our connection with, you know, this this place we're in right now. Like this this, this earth certainly is a home, isn't it? It's our, our desire to understand things that we begin to differentiate and and commit ourselves to those uh, categories and all that kind of stuff. But if we can let go of all of these different terms and we understand that this is all one big body. Certainly the earth itself is, is, is not a big ball of dirt. It's, it's an entity and, and, and the proof is, 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 is right here. And, and so please make sure to subscribe, like, comment and share. Big thanks and see you next episode. Peace.